Good morning, everybody. Can y'all hear me okay? Am I coming through? All right. Well, it's, uh, it's great to be here again at Christ Fellowship. Um, I've had the privilege of being here a few times to uh, lead in music a few times, and I'm always thankful for that. And I've told Mike this before, but I want to tell you that um, every time I come here, I am so encouraged and so refreshed. And I love that, and I love coming to this church. Um, so thank you for having me. I'm appreci- I, I love seeing the work that the Lord is doing here in and through this, this church and this community, so thank you for that. Um, so we're going to look together today uh, in the Psalms, specifically Psalm 115. So if you want to turn there, I'll be reading out of the ESV. Um, and while you're turning there, um, if you have studied these psalms at length or not, you may know that there's a series of these psalms in this, um, uh, this section of the book called the Egyptian Hillel Psalms. And what that means is these psalms were used to celebrate the Passover and the deliverance from Egypt of God's people. Hillel, you know, praise the Lord, hallelujah, that's kind of where we get that from. Um, so Jewish families and communities, they would, they would celebrate together as they, as they studied these psalms and, and, and sang them. And so today we're going to look at Psalm 115, uh, and as we do, what we're going to see is this command that resounds in these psalms that says, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You've heard that before, undoubtedly, praise the Lord. But the question is, why are we, we're not only exhorted, but we're actually commanded. Why are we commanded to praise the Lord as we look at these psalms? Unfortunately, it's because often... The Lord is not the one that we turn to in times of need or in times of plenty. But there's good news in this text for us today, and I want us to see that. And that is that God is faithful, and God is steadfast, and He can be trusted at all times. So let's pray and ask Him to help us to see that. Lord, I pray this morning that You give us eyes to see and ears to hear by the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, open us our eyes to see wondrous things in your word and our ears to hear the good news of Jesus that moves us forward to serve a hurting world. We pray this for your glory and in your name. Amen. So let's jump right into Psalm 115. I'm going to read the entire psalm and we'll go back through. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love And your faithfulness. Why should the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear, noses but do not smell. 
They have hands, but do not feel. Feet, but do not walk. And they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The Lord has remembered us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless the house, excuse me, he will bless those who fear the Lord, both the small and the great. May the Lord give you increase, you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. The heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth he has given to the children of man. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down into silence. But we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. So lately I've noticed this recurring phrase, and maybe you've seen it as well if you watch TV, especially on commercials and radio ads. It's a a three-word phrase that you hear quite often. It's the phrase, you got this, right? You've heard this before. You got this. Maybe you've heard that. And if you look for it, you'll see it and you'll hear it. It could be an ad for makeup or, or snack food or really anything. And they'll tell you at the end, you got this, right? It can be an ad for deodorant for, you know, you got this. Anything that you see on TV, anything you can do, you can attack life from any angle because you got this. It's really just up to you to decide that you got this, right? We hear this quite often. But that can actually be a troublesome little phrase because what we're hearing and saying, not only in our commercials and product ads, but also in our own minds, is that really we do have it. We really believe that often. And we can control our lives either by being the masters of our own destinies or by leaning heavily into something or someone else that really has a lot more control over us than we would like to admit. You got this. We hear it over and over again. And what we'll see, though, as we look at this text, is that we're actually a lot like the Israelites who were being warned against the idolatry of their day and trusting in things other than the one true God. See, much like the Israelites that are this text is written to, we often do put our trust in so many other things than the one true God, than the Lord himself. We often trust in idols. But you know, the people of Israel in the ancient Near East, they were constantly bombarded with this sort of thing. They were confronted with literal idols in that day, uh, gods from neighboring countries and cultures. But these were gods, little g gods, that they could sense. It was things that they could see. They could put their eyes on them. They could put their hands on them. Um, They could be touched and seen. So because they were touched and seen, they must be real. They must be able to deliver us because we can see them. But they're made by regular men and women. How much power do they really hold? In our day today, it's, it's easy to lean into and trust things that we can also see and, and touch here. We're constantly doing this even when we don't realize it. 
we, we trust the things we can hear and feel and see, but that's not, meant, that's not how we were meant to operate. Go all the way back to the beginning, Genesis 1. God created us, man and woman, in perfect fellowship with him. And he alone, he was God. He was to be worshipped and adored above all else. But our first parents, Adam and Eve, they, they messed it all up for all of us. And now we rebel against God, trusting in all sorts of lesser things, don't we? But there's hope for us. So what I want us to see, hopefully, in this psalm today is that because of God's enduring faithfulness, we can confidently trust in him completely. Because of his enduring faithfulness, we can trust him completely with all areas of our lives. So why can we trust God confidently? Well, the first thing I want us to see as we look at verses 1 through 3 again is we can trust him because of his sovereignty. God is sovereign. Quickly, I'm going to look back at verses 1 through 3 again. It says, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name. Give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Why should the nation say, Where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. As you read those verses or look at those verses, there's a couple of words that should stand out to you. Or maybe they don't. Steadfast love and faithfulness. If you've looked at the Psalms before and and many other places in the Old Testament, you see these words, steadfast love and faithfulness. Here, the psalmist, what he's doing is anchoring God's worth and glory in his very character. He is steadfast. He is faithful. He loves us that way. And because of this love, because of this faithfulness, he alone is worthy of glory and trust and no one else. And perhaps when you hear those words, steadfast love and faithfulness, you think, yes, I have heard those plenty of times before. I've read the Psalms. I've looked at the Old Testament And maybe it's just Bible words that we hear in church over and over again. And I'll admit that sometimes it's that way, even for me. We just kind of read past it. Or maybe there's not much experiential knowledge in your life of those words in in terms of that kind of love and faithfulness. When the people would sing this song to the Lord, they were singing from a place of experiential knowledge. They felt it. They experienced his love. They experienced his faithfulness. You see, God delivered his people, as you know, from oppression, from from slavery, from pain, from hurt, from isolation and despair. And he brought them, he brought them to a place of abundance, a place where they could breathe, a place of freedom, a promised land. And in all their trouble and in all their pain, God remained sovereign. Overall, he was there ruling and they experienced this and he guided them with his care and they could sing with confidence and joy because they knew their redeemer firsthand. They experienced his sovereignty firsthand. They experienced the sovereignty of God in their very own lives. So again, as you look at verses two and three, it says, why should the nation say, where is their God? He's in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. The psalmist here wants us to know, again, God is sovereign over all. He does just what he pleases. And we know 
if you know the Lord, that he is good, especially for those that belong to him. And so if that is true, if he is truly good, then God is pleased to do good to his people. One of my, probably my closest friend, his name's Adam. And Adam and I met in the eighth grade in study hall. And we became friends instantly. And Adam and I went through a lot of the same struggles in our lives. uh, But the Lord, thankfully, intervened in both of our lives. In about 2005, my friend Adam, uh, the Lord stepped into his life and radically saved him and delivered him from all kinds of trouble. Well, about four years later in 2009, Adam's brother Paul, who was also a friend of mine, he, Paul died from a drug overdose. And this was obviously a huge shock for my friend Adam and his family. This was his brother. This was the one he looked up to. This is the one that we hung out with, that we all loved being with. And Paul just couldn't seem to break the grip of addiction in his life. Even though he belonged to Jesus, he did. He couldn't break that grip. Well, about five months later of the same year, Adam was in a horrible accident where he worked in a warehouse. He was hit by a forklift, and then his leg was pinned between that forklift and another. Adam's leg had to be amputated, and he went through years of recovery. And he still has pain in a part of his leg that's not even there. And then several years later, Adam, now married to his wife Sarah, would have their first son. His name was Grayson. And it became clear as Grayson grew older that he had some very tough learning deficiencies. And he would eventually be diagnosed with autism. Some of you guys may know the joys and the challenges that that can bring in a family's life. That's a lot of stuff to happen to one man. But today, if you spoke to my friend Adam, you would immediately see joy in his eyes. And you would hear of the peace and the confidence that he has in Jesus. Through all of that, you would hear of the gratitude that he has to the Lord for sustaining him and his family over the years, and you would never hear a complaint about the things that he has endured. Why? It's because Adam knows and he trusts in the sovereignty of God over all things. Because he knows by experience that God is steadfast and faithful, even though many things can't be explained. He knows God and his sovereignty is good and that he can be confidently trusted. Why can we trust God? When we see his powerful work in the lives of his people in Israel, in the lives of his people today, even when they and we fail over and over again, we realize that nothing is a surprise to God, is it? He's not learning anything new about you. He knows it all. And yet he calls us his children, and he calls us his own. He has all knowledge and power and love, and as the psalmist says here, he does all that he pleases to do. Rescuing and restoring sinners and caring for the people 
that he has bought is what God is pleased to do. And he has shown that over and over again. And we can confidently trust him, again, because he is sovereign over this world and all that happens within it. But not only can we trust God because of his sovereignty, but also because of his reality. Because of his reality. In verses 4 through 8, you see these interesting descriptions here of the idols that the Israelites would encounter regularly. Uh, Perhaps you've seen in history books or uh, maybe even in your study Bibles, you'll see uh, various idols that um, the surrounding and neighboring cultures would have. And and you're like, these things don't look uh, interesting at all. They look kind of silly, actually. Well, that was just uh, the way it was for some of these cultures. Um, Here, the psalmist is essentially, he's essentially mocking the idols of his day. If, If you look at those verses, you see... They, they have mouths. They don't speak. They have eyes, but they can't even see. Ears, they don't hear. Noses, but they do not smell. They have hands, but they can't even feel. Feet, and they don't even walk. And they don't even make a sound in their throat. They're senseless, aren't they? Interestingly, these idols and gods that we wanted, they wanted to put their trust in because they could sense them These idols themselves had no senses. They were senseless. Literally senseless. So why would anyone actually put their trust into an idol like that? Well, I think it's easy for us to make, uh, uh, to be judgmental probably. Because we could say maybe they were just uncivilized, right? At least compared to us today, they just didn't know any better perhaps. And their knowledge then wasn't what ours is today. There's no doubt a lot of cultural background that we could dig into uh, why certain animals or shapes or uh, materials were used to create these idols, uh, which were essentially statues. Uh, But I think it may be as simple as this. People want to trust and worship something that they can touch and something that they can feel. Something they can see. Something that they can sense. And I don't think that we're as far off from the people spoken of here in this text as we would like to believe. If you look back at all these descriptions of the idols of the nations, what are they describing? They have hands, they have mouths, they have ears, feet. They look like us, don't they? They look like us. They have hands, feet, feet, noses, eyes. In fact, it was believed in the ancient Near East that if a god didn't even, if it did not have a physical image, it could not be a god. You had to be able to see it, or it wouldn't be believed. And so they looked like us. Uh, last year, Pastor Tim, Tim Keller he posted a helpful definition for idols, saying this: "Quote: An idol is anything more important to you than God, anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God." Anything that is so central and essential to your life that should you lose it, your life would hardly feel worth living. Therefore, one can make anything into an idol. End quote. And I agree with Keller here that anything can become an idol, including and especially ourselves, the ones that are described here. I read an article from Business Insider Magazine, and it was entitled, 12 Things 
Americans love that the rest of the world finds bizarre. Several things were listed there in this uh, article in sort of a lighthearted way. Um, things like NASCAR, pep rallies, who would have known, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, hostess Twinkies and baked goods, driving huge cars. <laughs> I like that one. Now, it's not that all of those things are bad in themselves, but they do seem to point to prevalent idols in our day. Consumption. Entertainment. Status or wealth. Security. And this one's really tough for me. Comfort. All of these and so many more are idols that we regularly bow down to with our lives, aren't they? And the thing is, they all point right back to us. Because often we are what's most important in our own minds. Looking at verse 8 quickly, we see the psalmist's blunt takeaway from the idolatry that he observed there. He says, those who make them idols become like them. And so do all who trust in them. And so when we turn, when we turn again and again to these idols of security or fulfillment, we eventually become like them, senseless, useless, lifeless even. We don't see, we don't hear, we don't know where we're going. It's like we're almost like walking dead people the more we put our faith and trust in these other things. But the reality of life is this. Our God, he is in the heavens, and he does all that he pleases. The creator, the sustainer of all things, he is our reality, and he desires to show us himself. Think back to Exodus where Moses asked God to show him his glory. You remember this? And the Lord had to shield him with his hand, and the Lord passed by Moses declaring himself, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. That's a long name, is it not? But as God describes himself, this is what he describes. He's a God of mercy. He's a God of grace. He's a God of love and faithfulness, but he's also a God of truth and a God of justice. That is the reality of who our God is. And that God can be trusted. So we can trust confidently in the Lord because of first his sovereignty and as we just saw the reality of who he is, but also we can trust him because of our surety. And I'll come back to that word in just a moment, our surety. Uh, I'm going to read just verses 9 through 11 again. Um, it says, O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The psalmist here calls us again, trust in the Lord. 
Israel, the house of Aaron, and those who fear the Lord, trust in him. You might be tired of hearing me say that by the end of today. Trust in the Lord. Some of you may hear that word, trust. And it's a painful thing to consider. Perhaps you've been hurt by somebody you trusted before. And perhaps you've been lied to by people you trust to. Or someone has abandoned you that you trusted. And that's painful. And that's valid. And hesitance to trust people can be understandable. But I want us to consider trust in this light. The trust that God is calling us to, it must be based upon something. Blind trust usually doesn't make sense to us. So so what can we base our trust on? Our trust in the Lord, what can that be based on? And I want to go back to that word surety uh, and give us two quick definitions of that word. When we say that we can fully trust the Lord because he is our surety, what do I mean by that? Maybe you've heard that word in some older hymns. Uh, It's not used as much today, but um, it used to be. Verses 12 and 13 here. It says, the Lord has remembered us, and he will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both the small and the great. Well, first we can define that word surety simply as the state of being sure of something. I am sure that I'm going to eat lunch today. That's going to happen. I'm very sure of that. And here in verses 12 and 13, we can see a confident assurance that the Lord has remembered his people and, number two, that he will bless them. That's what he says. The Lord has remembered us and he will bless us. If you remember back to the beginning of this psalm when we're called to give glory to the Lord, not to ourselves, but to him because of his steadfast love and his faithfulness. Well, the psalmist says here, we can be sure of something. We can be sure that God has been faithful in the past. And because of that, we can trust that he will be faithful in the future with every single part of our lives. His goodness and faithfulness is sure. And secondly, we can define the word surety as this. A person who takes responsibility for another's performance or one who pays their debts. I'm going to read verses 14 through 18 that say, May the Lord give you increase, you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. The heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth he has given to the children of man. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down into silence. But we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. In those verses, we see increase and blessing and inheritance and life. All of this promise to the people of God. And they all come from the Lord. But they don't come without great cost, do they? Without the Lord's intervention in the lives of his people here in this psalm and in our very lives, none of these promises can come to fruition. And without the rescue and the redemption of Jesus Christ in the lives of us today and because of his shed blood, we don't have any of those gifts either. We don't have promise. We don't have life. We don't have abundance without Jesus. And this is what this psalm is pointing us to. Jesus is our surety 
Jesus is the one who took responsibility for our performance. And the one, the one who took responsibility for us and our attempts at a holy life and the one who ultimately paid our debts. That's what Jesus has done. He is our surety. You may know uh, the great English preacher Charles Spurgeon. There's a story told about Charles growing up with his younger brother, James. And Charles's brother, James, he suffered from what they called weak ankles as a child. And because of this condition, he fell down a lot. And he was very clumsy, it seemed. And he found himself in trouble from this falling and weak ankles with his overbearing father who called him clumsy and careless. And so to treat this condition, James was threatened by his father with whippings. And whenever he fell, he was whipped. Well, over time, James's and Charles's father was sure that his treatment of James had worked. And eventually he stopped falling and he started walking correctly. Well, Charles would reply to his father later in life, Ah, so you thought. Yet it was not so, for he had many a tumble afterwards. And then Spurgeon confessed to his confused father, I always managed to wash his knees and to brush his clothes so as to remove all traces of his falls. Jesus, our surety, the one who takes our punishment and our debt, the one who picks us up, the one who washes our knees and brushes our clothes and removes all traces of our falls, presenting us clean and accepted before a holy God in love. This is what he does. A moment ago that I I mentioned that trust must be based on something. Friends, we can trust God with all of our lives completely because we are accepted in Christ as loved sons and daughters. So why can we confidently trust God with all of our lives, every facet of it? Well, number one, he's sovereign. He's very real. He's working in this world and our lives. And ultimately, because Jesus has worked on our behalf to bring us spotless before the throne. And because all of that is true, we can trust in him completely. Because we're accepted and loved in Jesus. Praise be to God for this truth. With all that's going on in this world and in our lives today, will you trust him completely? Let's pray together. Our God, we are sa- we're so thankful for this truth that your word brings to us so clearly. That Lord, you are sovereign. You are real. You do care for your world, and for your people. Thank you that you have given us your Son, that we can know you, and that we can be alive. Lord, we give you all praise. Help us to trust in you, we pray, as we go out today. In Jesus' name, amen.
to extend your hands if you wish to receive the Lord's blessing today. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Go in peace of God.